Part two of session 79, let's keep talking about Tarot, Archetypical Mind, but specifically the veil between the conscious mind and the unconscious. Let's begin. conversation so far has been mostly about the conditions before the veil because Don has been interested in this uh, implementation of the veil, what was before, what happened during the implementation of the veil, which by the way we're going to get into in this episode. And then of course uh, he thinks that it's going to help us understand a lot more our current situation or our current experience. Situation sounds like we are in a pickle or something. It just sounds like uh, we're trying to get out of this, and that's not the purpose of implementing the veil or anything that happens in uh, in the experience of the creation. So we're gonna continue with that. Now, before I begin, I want to give a couple of shout-outs to people who have gifted me with their talents and uh, the first one I need to talk about is of course of my friend Colby from Dream State Logic since the beginning of my series on the Law of One I have been using his music and you are listening to his tracks every time you listen to the Law of One so he came out with a new album which is available for download on his page um, I want to be thorough I don't get anything he doesn't get anything. <laughs> His music is out there for free, but if you want to, of course, uh, collaborate and support his work, which is just fantastic that he does this. Uh, his album, his new album is Star Starbound, which I'm gonna leave a link in the description and you can go check it out. His music is amazing. Uh, I actually um, am using Andromeda Terminal in this uh, this episode so yeah just pay attention to what you hear in the background it's awesome as usual and of course um, just check out every other album that he has because you might be familiar with the music if you have been listening so far so last thing thank you Colby always for sharing your music with us with me particularly and being in the background always <laughs> The second person I want to thank is Nicoletta Taylor, who gifted me her book and dedicated so nicely to me. So thank you. This book is called Terrans and is poetry like I have never heard before or read before because it's about this. What we talk about here is um, it's poetry based on uh, life on this planet and our metaphysics of living, of unity. Um, I love the interplay that she did with the elements and love and the blueprint, everything. Just go check it out. I'm going to leave a link in the description. Again, I don't get anything from this. This is just people who have gifted me their talents and I just wanted to give a shout out to them. So thank you, Colby. Thank you, Nicoletta, especially for that little doll you sent to. So nice. I appreciate you. Okay, so 
with that being said, we can start with our first question that I have new from this session. And we left again, just talking about matrix potentiator, uh, sort of refresher. It's interesting to actually connect. I forget the, the number of the question, session 78, but there's a long question talking about matrix and potentiator. And it's interesting to make a connection between the two because it's, it's the same sort of information, but expanded. So uh, I'm not gonna do that, but go back to session 78 and look at that question matrix and potentiator it's a long answer and connected with this one and you'll find that's question 20 of this session but i'm going to move on with question 21 and let's continue this conversation all right we have question 29 21 here god let me need to fix something quick here this is over the top. All right, fix it on the fly. There we go. My camera was too bright. That's because I was talking about Colby and Nicoletta. Let's 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 say it's that. <laughs> All right, question twenty-one. Don says the first change made then for this extension of free will was to make the information or make the communication between the matrix and potentiator of mind of the mind rel relatively unavailable one to the other during the incarnation. Is this correct? Ra prefers to say we would perhaps rather term the condition as relatively more mystery filled than relatively unavailable. So here we begin this uh, conversation about the, the veiling between the conscious mind and the unconscious. Um, remember that we were we were talking about how there were nine archetypes and say the mind had three archetypes and so the body and the spirit and these three archetypes were matrix potentiator and the significator significator seems to me that is a repository of let's say the personality or manifested uh, being that is represented as the self is the self in manifestation and it's constantly changing evolving transforming that's what we uh, in my belief that is what we confuse ourselves with as we identify with something the projection of the significator the significator is a lot more complex than that but the the image of the significator is what we confuse ourselves with uh, and that is the ego in a way. I know I'm going a long shot here, so I may be off in the archetypes, but that's the part of the archetypical mind that I can see us relating to, which is uh, it's such a surface level that we identify with. In any case, the point here is that the other two archetypes, which is the conscious and the unconscious mind, they were working fine before. Not that they're not working fine, but they were working in tandem, let's say. They they had no problem in communication. It was uh, two resources, basically, for the experience of the mind-body-spirit. But um, at some point, or in this case, for the mind, at some point, it was decided that let's draw a veil and see what happens. And we'll talk about what happens or 
try to, <laughs> based on what Ra said. But the, the crucial point here is that when this veil was drawn, then the conscious became um, unaware of the unconscious to a certain degree. And so Don is saying the, uh, the strictness in Don's question is that uh, unavailable. Unavailable is not the word because the unconscious is not that it's unavailable, but it's it's veiled. It's not easy to see. So that's why Ra changes that to say mystery filled than relatively unavailable. So relatively more mystery filled. Um, why? Because we are actually seeing the unconscious at play all the time. And so, in fact, the work of the spiritual uh, adept is to become more interested in the works or the workings of the unconscious and how it's projected here. So you will see things like synchronicities. That's definitely coming from the unconscious. Uh, your own patterns of behavior, the way you uh, react and respond, which before you used to take for granted and say, oh, that's just me. Now you're saying, no, it's just part of my unconscious and there's something I need to learn about that. And learning how to uh, work with the unconscious is the, the work of the adept. So it is there. Uh, it's not unavailable, but it's definitely shrouded in, uh, in mystery. And well, that's just the beauty of having this archetypical mind. So let's move on. Question 22, Don says, well, the idea then was to create some type of veil between matrix and potentiator. Is this correct? And Ross says, this is correct. I don't need further explanation here, right? It's a veil between matrix and potentiator. So I've been talking about this already enough. Question 23, Don says, this veil then occurs between what we now call the conscious and the unconscious mind. Is this correct? This is also correct, says Ra. Question 24, Don says, it was probably the design of the logos by doing this to allow the conscious mind greater freedom under the first distortion by partitioning, you might say, the individualized portions of this from the potentiator or unconscious, which had a greater communication with the total mind. Therefore, allowing for, you might say, the birth of uneducated, to use a poor, poor term, portions of consciousness. Is this correct? And Ron says, this is roughly correct. <laughs> um, I don't want to really read again Don's question because it's uh, it has so many incises or what we call in Spanish incise, which is when you put things like, to use a poor term, um, you might say, and all those little things. Right, uh, but in essence, uh, what he's saying here, in my opinion or my interpretation, is that uh, the the design of the logos was to create this confused state. Right, that's that's basically what it is. Once there is a veil between the conscious and the unconscious, we don't know why we do things. We don't know why things happen. We see. Uh, all those things that happen in our experiential continuum. And suddenly we say, well, that's, that's, that's weird. That's a, that's a weird coincidence or that's strange. All those things are workings of the unconscious. And uh, 
if we pay attention to it, we might find a lot more about our lives. We don't have to, but we can. And that's, again, the interest that spiritual seekers have, uh, whether conscious or unconsciously. <laughs> that's what they're seeking. So that's basically it. And that's why Ra says this is roughly correct. But let's move on. Don says, could you de-roughen it, elucidate a bit on that? Ra says, there is intervening material before we may do so. I don't know what the intervening material is, but Don moves on and says, okay. Now, was then this simple experiment carried out and the product of this experiment observed before greater complexity was attempted? And Ra says, as we have said, there have been a greater number of successive experiments. I mentioned in the last episode that we, we have a curious um, session here where Ra is, is not giving too much information on Don's questions. And I think I have at least a, a stance on this. And as you will see, I think it's because Don is just giving um, it's his questions are more towards the mechanics and the history of it, which again, it's interesting as anything else, even cattle mutilation is interesting, right? Um, but it seems to me that Ra wanted to talk about something more useful. Um, not, this is not to say that what I'm reading is not useful again. It's just to say that, uh, they, they were expecting or hoping, this is just my, uh, uneducated guess, but it's, it, it's really baffling actually that Rogers gives short answers here. Um, instead of elaborating like they usually did, but that's, that's what we have. I mean, questions are not bad, right? You know, here's where Don's starting to ask about um, he says the simple experiment carried out and the product of this experiment observed before greater complexity was attempted. Yeah, this, this is the eye of the mechanic, you see, of the scientist. Like, what happened? And who did this? And why? It's the little parts. Now, I want to give you, of course, my view. And hopefully it helps you to see why all of this is kind of... Uh, surface level information, to my opinion. And it's because when we attempt, which Don did a lot, this is a lesson for all of us because we all have a tension to think this way mechanically in terms of parts and events and all these um, steps kind of way of thinking. See if I can, I can share this. There are no beings deciding to put the veil or there is no voting system. The, the way in which we usually synthesize these visions of how reality is made, for example, um, the Confederation is a group of entities 
that are governing the solar system. This is not how it works. Uh, they are influencing us by giving us their agenda and so on. We, we tend to humanize uh, metaphysics and I think that's, that's a limitation. So my view on this is that there is a cosmic repository of experiences and at that level of imagination let, let me not just say planning planning sounds again it evokes this idea that there are entities doing the planning and doing things we may say just it's the one infinite creator doing the planning but i think it's easier for us to understand it as imagination so this process of drawing the veil try to visualize it as when you imagine things and they don't make sense but you know where you're getting at because you're trying to picture a landscape and uh, people and then there is incoherence and all of these things you're trying to implement something within your imagination but you have to go through the process of not uh, creating things that are uh, not congruent with what you are creating so you know there can be a mountain on top of i don't know a, a bowl a simple plain bowl right so things like that you you might have to um smooth out out of your imagination i'm sorry that's a very stupid example <laughs> but you get my idea i mean if you want coherence for a nice experience there, I mean, you can have a mountain on top of a ball. That's that's fine. But if you want to have a uh, coherent experience, right, then you, you want to refine it. And I think that's what was happening. The, the logos, the one logos and all logoi, sub-logoi, galaxies and suns and so on, they have to respond under this imagination the main imagination and that was the drawing of the veil perhaps this happened as Ra said in certain experiences that were being developed at the moment given the structure of how experience is um, ramified here in uh, in the model of the law of one the cosmology of the law of one but that's how i see it and with that in mind we can go and read the rest which is when Don is asking right now and saying, was then this simple experiment carried out, the imagination of the veil, and the product of this experiment observed before greater complexity was attempted? Um, I don't think uh, the product of this experiment observed before greater complexity was attempted. I mean, yes, you observe what happens as you start implementing th new things in your imagination but it's not like you're seeing the product of it you're just seeing the product perhaps yeah you're seeing the product of implementing this particular part in your model of whatever it is that you're imagining and so ra says there have been greater a greater number of successive experiments and these experiments to me are simply uh, imagining which is when I when I talk about imagination, I'm not talking about imagination and then creation. Uh, each each imagination is a creation, right? 
So we may even say that there was a sub-logos or a sun, a star, who implemented this experiment and saw, you know, how did it go? Maybe it didn't go so well, had to reset it and so on. So that's all well and good. It was the logos itself. There was no entities, separate entities there suffering the experiment as we might think. Um, again, I'm just trying to cover the possibilities that these words create some sort of visualization of um, what happened that is not congruent with the uh, total model of the law of one, which is one infinite creator, nothing else. And everything else must conform to that. So I'm trying to stay um, grounded, you might say, with the one infinite creator and not develop the idea that which I hear a lot, and some people have used the law of one for this purpose. Not many, but some people, some very influential actually, uh, to say that they're, you know, alien experiments and things like that. This is not that type of information. So please, um, if, if that's an idea in your mind, uh, I suggest that you release it or at least uh, think about it thoroughly and realize that this is not what this means. But yeah, I tend to think about all these things. Can't help it. All right, question 27. Don says, I was just wondering, since this seems to be the crux of the experiment, this seems to be the large breaking point between no extension of the first distortion and the extension of the first distortion. What what the result of this original experiment was with respect to that which was created from it? What was the result of that? Okay, that was poorly read from my part. <laughs> so I guess if I read it again without that parentheses. Don says, I was just wondering what the result of this original experiment was with respect to that which was created from it. What was the result of that? And again, Ra gives a short answer. This is previously covered material. The result of these experiments have been a more vivid, varied and intense experience of creator by creator. All right, there's a reason for being short now because they're, they're talking about, but see, the thing is that Ra could usually expand on this question, but they didn't. So, Yeah, this is, this is the same information that was said, I think, in the last session. Uh, let me find out. I think it was in the last session where they talk about how vivid the creation was. Or was it in this session? It was the last time I talked about it, wasn't it? No, it must have been in a previous session. Uh, but yeah, look, I, I have this refresh in my mind. Of course, I mean, Realize that implementation of Veil has created this experience of feeling lost. Let's recap the fact that the creator gets lost in its imagination. The power of that imagination allows the experience to be ever more vivid, right? Let's keep using that word. But it seems like the perfection of the creation needs to be a balance between being lost and remembering. 
okay? Because these are the two dynamic tensions or the dynamic tension that exists between forgetting and remembering. So there is a dynamic tension there and that's where experience seems to lie, right? And, and be intensified. So if there's too much forgetting, then, uh, then it's probably not, not that good because you need some tension from the other side. And then if there is not even remembering, but just seeing like it was before the veil, then probably not so well. So I'm thinking that this was part of the experiment, experimentation of the imagination of the creator to, to think about these things. Um, here, I can give you an example of this so it doesn't sound too esoteric. We can imagine things that are impossible, literally impossible. So how are we capable of that? Uh, in fact, I'll give you the two. Let me give you the two of them. <laughs> okay, so let's start with what everybody yearns for. There is the, um, this is not impossible. This is just, it simply is. That's just the truth. This is so in line with the truth that it creates no experience at all. And that is the feeling of unity. The feeling of unity is one which, um, and I'm saying the feeling of unity not mixed with experience. That's a different story. I'm talking about um, intelligent infinity has no experience. Intelligent infinity simply is. It's potential, it's there. But it has no experience whatsoever. It needs to divide itself into subject and object for it to have a, some, sort, some sort of experience then. It can only derive a subject out of itself and an object out of itself because there's nothing else. There's just infinity. So that is a non-experience, uh, non if you will, based on truth. The other one is a non-experience that is based on no consciousness, no awareness. So in other words, there is the imagination, okay? We're imagining the possibility of having no awareness, unconscious. Sorry to use that word right now because we're talking about the unconscious mind, but just being, uh, not being able to be aware, okay? That is impossible. You see, that creates, that's the possibility of no experience based on no awareness. That's not possible, possible because how can you know? When you go and test it, you have to be aware of it. And so you invalidate it. Um, this is akin with the uh, affirmation of me saying, I am lying. Just saying, I am lying. Not lying about, about anything in particular, but just saying this statement, I am lying. That's just... It reverberates uh, fatuously into uh, oblivion. <laughs> I am lying. If I am lying, then I'm saying the truth. So I can't be lying, but I am saying that I'm lying. So it just doesn't make sense. So in the same way, having a non-experience based on the imagination that there is no awareness, it's impossible. You see, so those are the two... Um, two extremes. 
However, we find something in between. And that something in between is the experience that the creator has been having and refining so far. That includes, to this point, the veil of forgetting in third density. And so this vivid experience is much better than what we had before. And any subsequent experience in third density, I assume it's going to be better and better. A better in the direction of vivid, more productive for experiencing itself. That's what I'm saying. Not better in the sense of human morality or ethics. So let's take that away. Uh, so I think, yes, that's what Ra meant to say there. That's just my, my view of it, of course. Okay, so we can move on to the next question. Question 28, Don says, well, I was aware of that. I probably didn't state the question correctly. It's a very difficult question to state. I don't know if it's worth attempting to continue with, but what I meant was, was when this very first experiment with the veiling process occurred, did it result in service to self polarization with the first experiment? Ra explains the early, if we may use this term, Logoi produce service to self and service to others, mind body spirit complexes immediately. The harvestability of these entities was not so immediate, and thus refinements of the archetypes began apace. So, um, one thing that I want to take out of this is when Ross says, the early, if we may use this term, Logoi produce service to self and service to others. It's interesting to see that when they use the, the, the word early in this context, they sort of excuse themselves by saying, if this term is appropriate or if we may use this term uh, as a reference, but there is no early anything. Everything is happening right now. Just like there is nothing that happened in the past. The past is now. You see, it's almost like you think you have been divided by different people or person, um, persons in, in your past. No, it's always been you. And everything you experience is just accumulated within yourself. So there is only you. And that is just the continuum um, of yourself. So there is no early. But we may think of it as a sort of measure of events. And that's what we call time and we get obsessed with time. <laughs> and so a lot of these questions, of course, are exploring the, uh, the apparent phenomenon of time and not so much what it means right now. So maybe that's why Rod's not giving elaborate answers. I don't know. I'm trying to find whatever it is. So the harvestability of these entities of, oh yeah, it was produced. So in the implementation of the veil, of course, it seems that service to self and service to others was born. This was the moment where the, the distinction between simply existing and living and experiencing became split into two uh, polarities of evolution. But Ross says that the harvestability of these entity was not, entities was not so immediate and thus refinements of the archetypes began apace. Um, yeah, so I can imagine that the harvestability or 
Why harvestability? Because I would think that the polarization of these entities was not so easy or so immediate. And so many refinements of the archetypes were necessary. This is part of the experimentation. In the last video, video I talked about, and I mentioned here too, that there is a, I divide it into three steps or three parts, right? There is the before the veil, during the implementation of the veil, which many of the stuff that we're going to talk about here is re referred to that. And then there is post veil, which is what we experience right now. So we're talking about three different experiences, let's say pre veil, during implementation of the veil and post veil. We know post-veil because that's what we're experiencing. So question 29, Don says, now we're getting to what I was trying to determine. Then at this point, were there still only nine archetypes and the veil had just been drawn between the matrix and potentiator. Ron says there were nine archetypes and many shadows. Don follows up and says, by shadows, do you mean what I might refer to as the birthing of small archetypical biases. Ra says, rather we would describe these shadows as the inchoate thoughts of helpful, helpful structures not yet fully conceived. And so here is where my analogy or my, uh, yeah, I, it's an analogy where I say that the implementation of the veil was a process very much like when we're imagining something and we don't have all the characters or the interrelationship between them and so on. So we're going through this process of shadows. That's what Ra is talking about here, right? Um, Don thinks of these shadows as the birthing of small archetypical biases, but I don't think they would be archetypical biases, but just yeah, just um, oh, I can't say it in English. Um, trial and error. Yes, I can. So <laughs> that's what it is. Trial and error. Um, so there's a lot of trial and error in the imagination of the implementation of the veil. Basically, what would happen if I veiled the conscious mind from the unconscious? And these uh, results need to be tested. And in the testing, of course, we would say, okay, so yes, this didn't work. No, that doesn't work. Okay, this actually works. Okay, no, this doesn't work. <laughs> you see? So that's how I see these shadows as the inchoate thoughts. Inchoate means um, in the beginning stages. I had to look it up. Uh, it comes from the Latin words cohus, which is a tract that was used in, um, in plows uh, that were fixed on, a, on an animal. And so that's, uh, that's why it's referred as the beginning stages or uh, rudimentary, uh, primitive, not primitive in the sense of evolution, but not fully form. It's about to take form. So all of these just make sense within what I'm saying in the implementation of the veil. It just seems like a process in which the one infinite creator based on every experience that has had at this point decided to say, okay, let's do experiments based on this, this new idea of veiling the conscious mind from the unconscious. And of course, maybe the, the experiments, uh, just like any other experiments, 
didn't make sense and had to be discarded. I don't know, I'm guessing here. Um, but it makes sense, you know, sometimes we would try to create something in our minds and we just say, or try to manifest something. I'm saying create as manifestation, right? Just uh, do something and you say, well, it just didn't work. Much like engineers or uh, designers, they may design or architects, you know, they might design something and say, well, that failed, but we learned from that. So something like that was what was happening in my limited perspective. That's why Ross says we would describe these shadows as the inchoate or not fully formed thoughts of helpful structures not yet fully conceived. So helpful structures, right, which is uh, different archetypes, it seems to me, but not yet fully conceived and just needed further experimentation. We move on. Question 31. Sorry for the pauses. My tea has gone ice cold, which is not a good idea for me. I like it hot. So, question 31, Don says, then at this point, would the choice exist at this point, the creation of the first service to self-polarity? Is there a choice at that point, or is it a non-choice? Ron says, implicit in the veiling, or separation of two archetypes is the concept of choice. The refinements to this concept took many experiences. So you see, once again, I go back to my analogy of making this a process, just, you know, <laughs> we may even say that um, the one logos, the one infinite creator was brainstorming <laughs> this idea with all the logoi that were forming their experiences at that time. <laughs> so, uh, brainstorming. The implementation of the veil is brainstorming. <laughs> that makes sense, it makes me laugh, so I like it. But yeah, that's the process that I see. Um, and yes, there is the concept of choice. Remember that choice is based on polarity, so what you're choosing is your polarity, basically. Are you one with the universe or are you one separate being? That's the choice. You need to choose and then empower that choice. That's polarization. Next question, Don says, I am sorry that I have much difficulty in asking these questions, but we are on material that I find somewhat difficult. I find it interesting that the very first experiment of veiling matrix from potentiator and vice versa created service to self-polarity. This seems to be a very important philosophical point in the development of the creation and possibly the beginning of a system of what we would call magic, not envisioned previously. Don goes on and says, let me ask this question. Prior to the extension of the first distortion, was the magical potential of the higher densities as great as it is now when the greatest potential was achieved in consciousness for each density? This is difficult to ask. What I am asking or saying is at the end of fourth density, prior to the extension of the free will or of free will, was the magical potential, what we call magic, as great or the ability or the effect as great as it is now at the end of fourth density? Big question here. 
um, seems rather complex. But Ross says, as you understand, if we may use this misnomer, magic, the magical potential in third density and fourth, was then far greater than after the change. However, there was far, far less desire or will to use that potential. Or this potential, they said, not that potential. But you get the meaning. Okay. Let's find out. I think Don is asking here if the magical potential that existed. Now, remember, magic, as Ra will describe in this session, I believe, is the ability to use the unconscious mind at will. Um, become aware of your unconscious mind. That is magical abilities. Uh, one way or another. Okay, so was this stronger at some point? I forget if it was before or after, but it doesn't matter. What Ra said was um, that the magical potential in third and fourth density was far greater than after the change. So before the veil, there was a greater potential for magic. But as Ra says, there was far, far less desire or will to use this potential. Um, Ra doesn't use repetition unless they want to emphasize something. So they're emphasizing here when they say there was far, far less desire or will to use this potential. This makes sense. If you're aware of all the possibilities of magic, why would you want to do it? You see, there's nothing like the element of surprise. This is a great, great philosophical point, by the way. Understand that we humans, and we humans being a representation of the Creator, again, the Creator wants a surprise. Because you cannot surprise yourself, like you, you can't buy a gift for yourself and then be surprised, you can't have that emotion, that feeling. Because you can't do that, so can the Creator. You see, so when it knows, when you know, there is no surprise, <laughs> you know. Um, but if you can fool yourself, if you can confuse yourself, if you can forget, then you may be surprised. You see, so that that's the that's the whole purpose of the universe, you might say. The creator just wants to be surprised all the time. And what greater surprise than to be in a body where it just feels like, oh, this is it. <laughs> this is my life. I'm going to die. And I'm going to uh, leave away all my experience and my mind will dissolve into dust and be forgotten forever and ever. And suddenly you die and you're like, oh, <laughs> what a great experience. <laughs> that was awesome. Let's do it again. Uh, so that's what the creator is doing. And because of this forgetting, there is a lot more desire to use this magic because we can transform our reality. And what is our reality? At the beginning stages of the spiritual path, we're, we're still thinking some in some form of separation. So what's magic is to collapse that um, that separation. So it doesn't matter how you do it, it's just collapsing that and creating, yes, magical moments and magical uh, things in life, miracles and so on. Why not? 
all of this is available. So that is the, um, that's what I would get out of that. Let's get to the next question. Question 33, Don says, now, let me be sure I understand you. Prior to the change and the extension of free will, let's take specifically the end of fourth density magical potential for the condition when there was only service to others polarization. Magical ability or potential was much greater at the end of fourth density than at the end of fourth density immediately after the split of polarization and the extension of free will. Is that correct? And Ra says, magical ability is the ability to consciously use the so-called unconscious. Therefore, there was maximal ability prior to the innovation of Sublogoi's free will. Perfect. That gives us the whole story that I just said about magical ability being the ability to use the uh, so-called unconsciously, uh, so <laughs> so-called unconscious consciously. Um, so again, if you have no veil, then you have the ability to use your unconscious uh, at will completely. You can just decide and say, okay, I'm just going to do this. But there's no desire. I mean, there's a, nobody's going to be shocked by what you do, and you are not going to be uh, surprised by it and say, "Wow!" You know, there's no interaction. There's no. It's like when there is when there is no resistance. You want a little resistance in this life. See, if you're trying to, um, here's a here's another advice. <laughs> I'm trying to. Uh, I'm doing the raw material and I'm giving um, relationship advice. Um, always leave a little bit of resistance, you know, for the person that you like. Have some resistance. Don't give too much of yourself, but also not don't resist too much. Uh, play with it. Play it as as a loving type of resistance, you know, not withholding something. That can be, you know, a, a turn off. But yeah, you want to give a little bit of resistance and. Um, you don't want to give everything, so a little resistance is nice, always. It gives that that desire to play, you know, to to be to be interested, to to, to feel interested in the other person, and to be interesting as well. So there you have it, and that is um, that was the condition prior to the veil. It was there. It was possible. Great possibilities, but yeah, we we didn't care too much about um, yeah. We're gonna read one more question, and we'll finish it at this because I won't cover the next ten questions in the time that we have, and I also yeah, I think this is a good moment. So, okay, let's cover one more question, which is the last one I will today. Question 34. Let's go. Oh no, where are you going? There we go. Okay, at the present time, we are experiencing, says Don, the effects of a more complex or greater number of archetypes. And I have guessed that the ones we are experiencing now for the mind works as follows. We have the magician and high priestess which correspond to the matrix and potentiator. 
which have the veil drawn between them, which is the primary creator of the extension of the first distortion. Is that correct? Ross says, we are unable to answer this query without intervening material. You know what? I This I probably should have covered in the next episode, but um, that's okay. I can reread it next time because this is going to bring us back into talking about the archetypes for the archetypical mind, which is again related to the veiling process. Um, what can I say? Let me see if I can grasp something. There is intervening material, but we're talking about connection between uh, Don says we have the magician and high priestess. These correspond to the matrix and potentiator. And to further confuse you, let me just say that the magician, which is the matrix, is the conscious mind. <laughs> and then the high priestess which is the potentiator, is the unconscious mind. So, <laughs> conscious and unconscious, which have the veil drawn between them, right? That's what we've been talking about, which is the primary creator of the first distortion. Is that correct? I don't know why Ross says we are unable to answer this query without intervening material. Maybe I'm just ahead of myself, but am I reading this right? The magician and the high priestess, which have the veil drawn between them, which is the primary creator of the extension of the first distortion. Seems to me like this is correct, but I am not sure why. Maybe we'll find out on the next episode. How's that for a cliffhanger? <laughs> you can go read it anyways. It's public information. But yeah, I would think that's correct. But Ross says there is intervening material. Don needs to find out. In any case, that's all I got for today. Rather short session uh, compared to, or not session, but episode parts. And we have more of this for the next, we're gonna keep talking about the significator of the mind, more archetypical mind definitely, until the end of this session. And that's it, I'm, I'm, I'm also interested as to why Ra was so um, short in the answers, but I can only speculate. That made these sessions or these questions to go rather fast, actually. Conclusions. Um, well, we talked about the conscious mind becoming aware of the unconscious mind. And how does that play out in our experience? Because it's nice to massage the intellect through these readings and to uh, indulge in metaphysical information and knowing how things work and so on, like Don was interested in, but how does this look in my life? How do I become aware of my unconscious mind? The key word here is meditation. You see, when you meditate, you are becoming aware of what's happening in your mind. Usually because we have neglected this type of practice in our life, it's a, it's a mumble jumble. It's a very mixed experience of thoughts and images and emotions. So this is the first layer that we have to deal with, this part of meditation. 
in which we are accepting that which is and becoming familiarized with our thoughts and with our um, our feelings, everything that's happening, our emotions, become aware of it. You can think of it as a person that you haven't met before and that you think you know them because you see them all the time, but you never listen to them. Even if they talk to you, you don't listen to them. Or listen very little and make up your own mind as to what they're saying. You see, so meditation is very similar to that. For the first time, you sit with this person who you have known all your life, which is your mind, and the mind is talking to you. Uh, you are awareness. Again, you don't want to be the mind listening to the mind. That's not meditation. That's, uh, that's just talking to yourself. <laughs> you want to listen. Be a good listener. And so if you do this over time, you start to know your mind. You start to um, understand why things happen the way they do. You, you kind of know the topography of 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 your your mind you see all the little details and contours as to why it always reacts this way and just like what you the person that you listen to becomes your friend because a friend is somebody who listens to you and understands you and accepts you and feels you so you do the same with the mind this is in practice what you're doing when you're looking at the unconscious mind and magic happens the most beautiful magic like i said is the collapse of duality of separation and you will see that every single thought of separation that you have is just something that you have in reconciling your mind with yourself so if you do this and you continue to pay attention to everything that is your life and how you feel about certain people and situations and events and directions and so on, the more you reconcile all these thoughts within yourself and you say, it's me, all of this is me. I, uh, I completely give myself to you. I will listen to you. That is to be working with the unconscious. So that's my conclusion today. Out of all these complexities that we read here of matrix potentiator and wanting to read more about all of this, uh, sit down, sit down for a while and listen to your mind. Be, be aware of what's happening. Know yourself, at least from that point of view. And remember, uh, many of the reasons why we stop meditating is because we're not sure if we're doing it right. Part of that, in my experience was because um, you confuse yourself, we confuse ourselves with the mind. And so we think that we're acting from the mind, but we should be acting from pure awareness at this point. That is the true meditation and the true meditator, actually. There is no, there's only one meditator and that's just awareness. Let me put it that way. And you are that. So with that, I can say I've come to the end of this episode. I appreciate you for listening so far. We have one more part to cover and finish session 79. And we're on to the 80s. The 80s are back. <laughs> uh, and I have a question, in, or a question from session 80 that I love. So we're going to get to that. 
I'm happy to get to that point. And with that being said, thank you again. Have fun, enjoy, and I'll see you in part three of session 79.